Hi, this is Suzanne Atkinson with Try to Listen, the podcast for curious triathletes. Each episode features an interview with an athlete, coach, or scientist whose passion lies in triathlon. It's my job to uncover their story. Hi there. Thanks for joining me today on Try to Listen. This is Suzanne Atkinson, and today you'll be listening to an interview with Sue Reynolds. Sue is a wonderful woman in her 60s who is a triathlete, and she's on Team USA. She's traveled to multiple world competitions, and she's lost over 200 pounds since she started exercising. In today's interview, she'll tell you all about her journey, all about her motivations, and some of the details, and a couple of funny stories along the way. Her book is out now. You can order it from Amazon. It's called The Athlete Inside. Hi, Sue. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And where are you right now? Where are you living? So I'm in Bloomington, Indiana, so in the Midwest. Okay. And um, how's your weather right now? It's beautiful. You know, it's we've had just the most gorgeous spring. I'm looking out my window at a at a weeping cherry tree that's in full blossom, and behind that's a blue sky. It's gorgeous. Oh, that's great. The weather's very similar here today in Pittsburgh, which is unusual. Um, so the reason I ask about the weather is because right now, uh, we are dealing with the, um, a lot of statewide mandated quarantines or stay at home orders. So I'm Mm -hmm. just curious, um, what are you doing right now as far as training? Are you able to get outside? Are you doing all your training inside? Um, a little both. Um, we are under a stay at home order in Indiana. And so, um, I'm getting out to run, but I'm, Making sure that I'm running on wide roads so that people going the opposite direction are, can stay 10 feet away from me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, all of my all my biking is on the trainer in, in my house. And thank goodness for Zwift. That makes it a lot more interesting. Um, and then the swim is on swim cords. I actually, we have a small pond. And I thought about swimming in there until I went to get in and there was a great big snapping turtle. Oh. And I thought, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that snapping turtle is probably using his pond right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that would make me a little nervous. Yeah, but training goes on. I mean, it's just, you know, I think that's one thing that we do well as triathletes is we learn how to accept and adjust and, Mm -hmm. you know, you just have to find a way forward. Yeah, good. So um, I'm going to tell the listeners a little bit more about why you and I connected here. Um, you, You just wrote a book and it's getting ready to be released at the end of April. Mm-hmm. Um, and this book, uh, it chronicles your, uh, pretty much your entire triathlon history. And the reason that you're able to encompass your entire history so, so nicely is because you're still fairly new to triathlon in spite of the fact that you've already competed at the world championships. Would you say that's, uh, an accurate statement? Yeah. So I'm 66 years old now and I started triathlon at age 60. Um, so I've been in this for about, um, six years and, um, in many ways, I still feel like I am a beginner, um, but I've, you know, I have been to the world championship um, four times now, and wow. I think what makes my what makes my story a little bit unique is that um, I before I started this, I weighed three hundred and thirty five pounds, mm-hmm. and I've lost two hundred pounds um, through this journey. So that's an entire been, person. Yeah, my <laughs> husband likes to say that he lost half of his wife. Oh. <laughs> And your your husband sounds incredibly supportive of your whole journey. 
He is. I'm very, very blessed in that. Um, he is um, plays several roles for me, and, and including when I've had a hard training day and I don't feel like doing anything else, he's very understanding. <laughs> yeah. Now, does your husband train as well? He does not. Um, my husband is very physically active, but not in sports. So mm-hmm. um, we, we, that's something we do not share. Yeah. Does he have a very physical job that sort of makes him um, exempt from having to do workouts? <laughs> not at his job, but we, we heat our house with wood, and oh. he loves to chop wood, so he's yeah. outside chopping wood all year long. That's fantastic exercise. Yeah, it is. Good. Um, so I've read uh, about half of your book. I haven't finished it yet, but I just want to say that it is, it's wonderful. Um, I oh, started thank you. it. <laughs> I started it last night about 10.30 p.m., and I, I got at least halfway through, um, and it was such a, a beautiful read. Um, it's very, um, it's pleasant. It's light, um, light in terms of, um, it makes me feel good to read it. Um, oh, good. It, and it's, I, I, there were points where I was reading it and I literally had tears in my eyes and I was trying to not let my partner hear that I was on the verge of, of like happy tears. It's just such a wonderful <laughs> oh story. Um, thank you. You're welcome. So I'll let you give us a little um, background. What what was it that made you decide to start um, start becoming uh, physically active? Yeah. So I, I was you know morbid, morbidly obese at 335 pounds, and and I never it never really bothered me because of my appearance. Um, for some reason, I mean, I it that just wasn't as important to me as eating. <laughs> so. So I had lots and lots of failed attempts at, at dieting, and um, I think it's just because my why wasn't really, you know, big enough to keep me engaged when there was a dozen cookies in front of me. <laughs> and you're, so, you're not referring to your YMCA, you mean your, your reason. <laughs> yes, my reason, correct, mm-hmm. my reason for, for, for losing weight. But then um, I started to get really frustrated with not being able to do things. You know, when you're when you're that much overweight, you, your size is big as well as how much you weigh. And I couldn't fit in a restaurant booth, and I I couldn't even get into a public restroom. I could get in the stall, but I couldn't shut the door behind me. So I had to use the the handicap restroom because mm-hmm. it was bigger inside. And and what bothered me the most was that I couldn't tie my shoes and or put on my own mm. socks. So every morning I'd have to ask my husband to put my socks on me in the winter. And it just, you know, I just hated that. And there was just one morning when, you know, nothing specific happened. You know, I just had had enough. And I was at the breakfast table and I put up my hands in front of me, you know, palms out. And I just said enough. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, I remember saying, I said it twice, enough. And then I just decided to start making different choices. And I figured if I just made one good choice after another for a long period of time that, you know, I could, I could maybe change things. So I had no idea I'd end up losing 200 pounds <laughs> and going to Worlds and triathlon. Yeah. Well, I think that's an important um, part of your story because it, you didn't even consider that until after you'd already been um, becoming more and more physically active for, for at least a year or longer. So in those, yes. in those early days, um, surely you had had some experience with losing weight because how was it that you knew what to do in order to maintain your weight loss at that time? Yeah, well, I really, I really didn't know what to do. Um, <laughs> you know, we had, you know, everybody always hears that here, everybody hears that if you want to lose weight, you know, you, you exercise and you, you eat less. And so, 
I, I did the eating less part um, in the very beginning, and then I didn't know how to exercise. And I think that's one of the things I learned is I just thought as an obese person that exercise was impossible. And I, you know, I know now that there are many different ways I could exercise as a heavy person, but then I didn't. And so the only thing I could think of to do was to walk. And so my, my very first exercise, and actually when I look back through my whole journey, this is probably the thing I'm the most proud of is just that first walk, you know, taking that first step Yeah. and going out the back door. And I, and I, and I, you know, I like to tell people that are, who have never been overweight, you know, imagine the, the, a, a large bag of ice weighs 20 pounds. So I was, I was carrying 10 bags of ice on my body as wow. I was trying to walk. I mean, it, you know, it was, it was not easy to do, Yeah. but we walked to, um, I walked as far as I could, which was my, my goal is to get to the neighbor's driveway, which was about 50 years, 50 yards away. So I made it there and I got home and just collapsed on the couch and laid there. But <laughs> I was so proud because, you know, I had never, I hadn't exercised in decades mm -hmm. and I just felt, you know, so good. And then the next day we went to the second driveway and then the <laughs> third driveway and, mm -hmm. you know, we just kept going farther and farther. That's fantastic. Um, you know, it's interesting because um, you mentioned that you felt, you know, and there's a part in the book where someone... Um, I'll jump ahead a little. I don't think it's going to ruin the plot line for anyone. Um, but you were offered a glass of water during your first 5K. Yeah. And it wasn't until that moment that that you realized that you you des deserve to be looked at like an athlete. Is that is, is that kind of how you yeah. felt? Yes, absolutely. Um, it was, you know, and it just, it hits me. That's one of the lessons I've learned through this journey is how just one little action or or a couple of words can change somebody's life. So yeah, we were. I was. Um, this is my first 5K, and I was still, you know, quite overweight. I think I was 276 pounds at that time, and and I was walking it, and 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 I was like behind everybody. And we got to that first aid station, and I and I had no clue that there were going to be little glasses of water there, but. <laughs> I, I, why would I you, right? Because you've never done yeah, one before. Yeah, exactly. So, and I didn't, you know, I didn't know what to do. And I thought, well, those are for the runners. And, you know, I was just a walker and I didn't feel like I deserved <laughs> that that water because yeah. I was just a walker. And um, as I went by the table, a woman, um, a volunteer came out from behind the table and ran after me with a glass. And <laughs> she handed it to me. And, and at that moment, I mean, I thought, Oh my gosh! This is really cool. I'm like an athlete in a real race. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's great. So, yeah, yeah that that was a that was a changing moment in my life. That's fantastic. I remember a, an experience for me. It wasn't not wasn't exactly the same, but I was doing the Escape from Alcatraz, and that was mm -hmm. my first like really big triathlon that I had um, hired a coach for and trained for because I live in Pennsylvania. And Alcatraz mm -hmm. is obviously in California, so I knew it was going to be an airplane trip, and I was going to have to bring my bike, and I was going to have to rent a hotel, and I wanted to get there several days ahead of time, so I knew it was going to be a really big financial outlay, and I wanted to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. And so I hired a coach, uh, and we trained for it for six to eight months, I think. Um, and the whole time I felt similar to things that you had been mentioning in your book, like, why well, I, I don't really deserve to be here. I, am I in yeah. the wrong place? I feel I'm a beginner. What do I do with this piece of equipment? And, mm -hmm. um, during that race, I remember getting to 
um, a point on the bike ride and being offered water bottles on my bike. <laughs> I thought, mm-hmm. wow, mm-hmm. well, this is what they do with <laughs> pro cyclists. This is really cool. Somebody's, somebody's handing me some, some uh, nutrition that I need for the race. And I remember having a similar feeling to what you described and how, yeah, um, that's how, neat. yeah the, the recognition of someone watching you do the race and not just your own internal efforts. Uh-huh, right, right, right. <clears throat> um, Tell me about your the boot camp. I think the boot camp is sort of what, what helped you transition from this walk out the door to doing your first 5K. Yeah, so the, the, um, the boot camp um, was near the beginning also after I had been walking for a while. And um, I actually, after I started walking, I went through a time where I didn't walk and I actually stopped dieting for about a half a year also. And I think um, I thought about not putting that part in the book, but I think there's an important lesson there about how when you start something and it doesn't work, you then need to f- just find another another path to where you want to get. Mm-hmm. And so my second path was this boot camp. Um, I had no idea what I was getting into. A friend um, asked me to go with her and um, she had been a couple times before and um, I, I was, she was supposed to meet me there and we got to the, um, parking lot and I got a text from her saying she wasn't coming. And I, you know, I was not an athlete growing up. I had never been in a gym. I, I had no idea what the word core meant or cardio meant. <laughs> I, I guess I knew cardio, but I sure didn't know those two words together, core cardio. Mm-hmm. But I got in the room and I was terrified. And that was another point where I thought, you know, I, I have a choice here. I can walk away because I am so scared. Um, and I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm know that I'm obese and people are going to be pointing at me and saying, oh my gosh, look at this obese person trying to exercise or, you know, or I can you know, I can put my pride in my fear first, or I can say, go away fear, go away pride Mm -hmm. and take that step forward. And so I did. And, um, it was, a the class was one where we had to go from station to station. Um, and I couldn't, um, I could not um, stand up between stations because it, I, you know, I was obese. I couldn't get off the floor, mm-hmm. so I literally crawled on my hands and knees from station to station. Oh, wow. And yeah, I couldn't do any of them. But the instructor was really nice. Um, <laughs> when she saw that I was trying, she would come over and give me an alternative exercise at each station. And yeah, yeah. And but when I got out of that, when I got out of that first class, I went in the parking lot and sat in my car and cried. And, 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 but it wasn't because I was, you know, it was hard. It was just, again, because I was thought, oh my gosh, I just did an exercise class. <laughs> you know, it was just, I was just dumbfounded. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, it was amazing. So I, I'm curious during that exercise class, how, were you aware of the other participants or were you aware of them were they watching you did you hear them say anything did they were they also as supportive as the instructor or were you so focused on what you were trying to do that that you had completely tuned out the other people yeah i know i was very aware that people were looking at me and and you know exercising for an obese person you know it's not a real common thing that you see so i knew that people would be looking at me and again that's where the go away pride came from um, but the people were also nice. They they paired us up, and there was a another woman that I got paired with who kind of helped me as well. And um, yeah, it was kind of weird crawling on my hands and knees from station <laughs> to station. But, but it was creative. But yeah. yeah, you know, it would have been really easy to to just not do that and quit. Yeah, yeah, and 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 again, I think you know, through life, you always have choices. You know, yeah. which is more important, and that's you know, we talked about earlier about the why and the rationale. 
you know, I, I had a choice to either, you know, not do those exercises and just accept the fact that I was never going to be able to put on my own shoes mm-hmm. um, or to go forward and try to make a difference. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I, I apologize. I'm kind of jumping back and forth from, you know, chronologically, but um, mm-hmm. I think that's okay in a conversation. Sure. Uh, <laughs> a, a lot of things that struck me as being um, maybe not necessarily unique to you, but things that were part of your background and personality that really helped you continue to move forward in your journey. Um, for example, some of the things about how you were raised and your mm-hmm. uh, the work ethic in your home and how, um, from my, my reading, your parents taught you skills that you needed in order to, say, continue in that exercise class. I think if people hadn't yes. already learned some skills or already been instilled with some amount of confidence from their upbringing, whether it's their parents or a mentor, um, that Mm -hmm. the outcome could have been totally different. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, and my, my career background is in education. And one of the things that I've learned as a teacher and an an educator is that when we have high expectations of children, they will work their tails off to meet our expectations. And I think that's when I do a lot of work in school, um, school improvement. And Mm -hmm. the first thing we do is to talk about what are, what are our expectations for kids and do we have high expectations for all kids or just for the kids who come to school eager and ready to learn. Mm, So, and yeah, that, and that's why I wanted to put that story in the book because I, I wanted, I was hoping that people would see that when parents have high expectations of their children, they're equipping their children to to have high dreams mm-hmm. and then to take steps towards those dreams and you know my parents did that for me and then when I faltered they you know they would be there to support me and help me again figure out a plan B if plan mm-hmm. A didn't work to, to keep going yeah, yeah. um uh, two two thoughts come to mind uh, the first one real quick are your parents still living no, they're both deceased. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, yeah. Were they alive to, to see you do uh, through any of this journey? Um, no, they weren't. I, I, I started this, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, it was my mother passed away first, and then my father and I started this like shortly after he passed away. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think that the passing of your parents had anything to do with your, um, your final decision, your why? I, I don't think so. I think it, you know, it was just... I don't. I don't think that that did. It although, didn't cross your mind. It, yeah, no. But it, but it has occurred to me many times since, um, especially for my my dad, that um, I think they'd be very very <laughs> pleased with with, you know, not not what I've accomplished, but just how hard I've worked. Sure. That that was that's what would be important to them. Yeah. So that leads me right into my the other thing that I thought about, and I've, um, you know, I, I have a background in education, but in a, in a different way than you do. I'm not uh-huh. a, a certified teacher, but I, there's a lot of teaching that goes on. Um, when I work with patients and of course as right. a coach, there's a lot of teaching. Um, mm-hmm. but sort of the difference between, uh, the way that a coach or teacher or parents interacts with, um, someone to support the trying hard versus trying to, um, accomplish a specific goal. And I know that there's overlap, mm-hmm. um, but maybe could you address that a little bit if you know what I'm trying to say? Like some, yes, I, I, I think I, I understand, and, and it's something I feel very strongly about. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, one thing that I learned in triathlon is that there's a big difference between um, process goals and outcome goals. Yeah, exactly. And Yeah, so by process, uh, well, let, let me 
do the outcomes first. So by okay. outcome goals, those are things like, you know, um, finishing on the podium or running at, you know, at this pace or whatever. Mm-hmm. So those are your outcome goals. And the, the thing about your outcome goals is that you don't have any control over them. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm trying to be on the podium, I can't control who else shows up, what the kind of day they're going to have, what the weather is going to be like. Um, if I flat on the bike, there's a million things I can't control. Right. Um, but process goals are the things that you do every day to increase the odds that you're going to reach your outcome goals. Mm-hmm. So all since I started getting serious about triathlon, I only have really one goal. And it's been the same goal since I started getting serious. And that is to do um, every workout every day exactly like my coaches asked me to do with integrity. Mm-hmm. And I figure, you know, if I trust in my coach and I do, um, and I trust in his plan and I do, then it's it's my job. If he writes the perfect plan, it's my job to execute that plan perfectly. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I try to do. And then, and then, you know, we started looking at, I was getting more competitive. We started looking at then all the other little things, um, process things like recovery and nutrition and mm-hmm. and all of that. So those are the process goals. And I my favorite part of the race is st- is standing at the start line because yeah. <laughs> when I'm when I'm when I'm there I know I've already won because in my mind what's important is, you know, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's. Right. And I know I've done that when I'm at the start line. That's the part of the race I love. That's I, fantastic. I'm really, really proud. Yeah. And then, you know, hopefully if you've met all your process goals, hopefully the outcome is golden, but sometimes it's not. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's a lesson I've learned too. There was um, actually my last world championship. I had my best race ever, but some of the things that I couldn't control didn't go my way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, you know, I didn't have the finish that I wanted to have. Um, whereas, you know, my best worlds, I finished sixth and first American and, you know, I had a good race, but in that race, all the things I couldn't control did go my way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just you just never know. So right. I think what you can be proud of is the process part, and that's that's the part I'm proud of. Sure. Um, for that pe- was kind of a long-winded answer to, <laughs> to the question. And, well, that, that's great. You know, there's, there's just, there's so many parallels in, um, you know, triathlon. So for my triathlon coaching background, the, the terminology process goal, outcome goal, I know that it's not um, specific to or owned by triathlon coaches, but I'm very familiar with that type of terminology. Um, Mm -hmm. there's also, um, you know, and maybe this overlaps the terms and the, the phrases growth mindset and fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. I think that there's some parallelism there. Um, and you know, then just sort of marching backwards towards, um, upbringing and how people are raised and how they interact with their mentors or how, you know, people who are listening to this are probably coaches or parents or athletes themselves, Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. we interact with the people around us. Um, and I'll just give you a specific example that, um, that makes this a really interesting topic for me. Um, and Mm -hmm. it's a secondhand example, a very close friend of mine that coaches in the Pittsburgh area. His name is Chris Mayhew. He's a cycling coach and he does a lot of, um, cyclocross, um, coaching and racing. And he, told me a story about a, a teen that was at one of his clinics that he he became frustrated with her because um, she wouldn't try any skill more than once. She would try it and it wouldn't go very well and then she would just stop. Hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we talked about this and I, I, I brought up, well, you know, that she may be um, sort of trained by her 
her upbringing that um, she gets praised when she does something when, well or when she perfects uh-huh. something or when she gets an A grade and not, not being praised for the, um, the process of getting to that goal. And um, for him, that was a little bit eye-opening. And for mm-hmm. some reason, I don't know why that story is the one that always comes back because I can just picture this very vividly, the, you know, the interaction between um, a coach and an athlete you know, and a teenager or it could be an adult, or it could be me standing there with arms folded saying, no, I'm not going to do that again. I didn't like that, (laughs) you know, or it didn't, it didn't go how I wanted it to. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think as a coach working with all sorts of different athletes, the athletes that, that I see who, um, enjoy the sport the most, and also the ones who, who have the best results are the ones that say, I didn't like that, but I'm going to try it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like to, um, I'm thinking of a workout that I did yesterday. I had a um, a new strength workout, and I I couldn't do any of it. It was <laughs> it was so hard. Mm-hmm. And, but what I find that I like to do is I like to make games out of things. Yeah. And so you know now now my game is okay. Can I do the workout better tomorrow or the yeah. next time? You know. And then it been and, and I love data because data <clears throat> is part of the game because yeah. I know okay. You know, this time I did this many reps, and last time I could only do one. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I that, think that that's I like making games. That's a, a, a good strategy. Um, does your does your coach help to phrase things for you that way, or is that something that you add on your own? Um, my coach and I have a wonderful relationship, and as you could probably tell, as much as you've read into the book already, the book is really about the the relationship between me and my coach. Yeah. Um, and you know how he helped me build confidence and mm-hmm. um, help encourage. Um, so, but yeah, so some of this is you know from my background. But um, when I'm you know going down the wrong road and I'm having a meltdown before a race, <laughs> uh, he's he's there to to he's always know, to there. Talk me, yeah, to talk me down and to you know teach me life lessons and yeah. Um, and it's been kind of strange because when I met him, I was 60 and he was 27. So he was <laughs> younger than my children. Uh-huh. So, so that was, that was kind of strange in the beginning, um, because, you know, he had to establish that I was going to follow his plan and, yeah. um, and, and, and it was kind of strange to be taking directions from a 27 year old. Sure. But, I, I but, imagine there were some growing pains in there. Yeah, for both of us. And I, I think that's, you know, made this enjoyable for me because I've been able to watch him grow as a coach as, mm. as well. We've been working together seven years now. So. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's been a long time. And, but, it, but it, you know, it hasn't always been smooth. And, you know, the you mentioned the outcome goals and the process goals. Um, when, when I qualified, you know, when I was trying to qualify for my, um, my first Worlds, um, I had been 29th at nationals the year before mm-hmm. and to make worlds, I had to be in the top 18 and in, in the sprint distance. Yeah. And, um, so in the middle of the training, the prep year, um, USAT changed the rules that they weren't going to qualify 18 at nationals anymore. They were just going to qualify eight. Mm. And in my mind, going from 29th to 18th was maybe, actually, I was trying to become an alternate at that time. So yeah. I was trying to get from 29 to 25. And then my coach, Brant Baylor, Brant said, um, he said, forget being an alternate, let's just make the team. And so then I thought, <laughs> yeah, he it talk about high high dreams. Um right. so so I was trying to be eighteenth and then um hoping to be eighteenth and then you sat 
changed the rules and, you know, it was going to be only eight qualified. And so in my mind, I'm thinking there's no way I could get to from 29th to 8th. But um, Coach Brandt said, um, he said, let's be eighth. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but then, you know, then we had to, that put a lot of pressure on. So he and I had to have a lot of conversations about, you know, eighth was an outcome goal. Right. And that's what we hoped for. But if that was what I focused on, it was just going to be so much pressure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we talked about process goals and yeah. just taking whatever outcome we'd, we'd get. and. We hope to be eighth, but I was eleventh. So, mm-hmm. but still going from 29th to eleventh. I mean, I was really pleased with that jump, even though it wasn't as high as we hoped. Yeah, that's. Uh, I haven't gotten to that part of the book yet. That's where I, it sounds like. That's where I stopped last night. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. I can't. Oh, now I'm ruining. Now, <laughs> now I'm ruining the book for you. <laughs> oh no. Well, I could just look up the results and find find it. But it's the story that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah. I do think that you and Brant sound like you have a wonderful relationship and. Um, he does sound like the perfect coach, you know, Yeah, <laughs> you mentioned he, I, in, ter- in terms of just, um, being able to communicate and expectations and he, he is really, really great. And, you know, I think any relationship, including the coach athlete relationship goes through stages. Um, you know, in the beginning, everybody's like happy and nobody can play <laughs> with each other. Yeah. yeah, it's new. And then, and then just like any relationship, you go to get to a point where you're starting to question <laughs> each other and you go through the fighting stage. And, yeah. you know, we, we went through that in our coach athlete relationship. And, um, but I have to hand it to Coach Brandt because he, you know, he, he said to me, Sue, this is, this is my instruction to you. Whenever you are upset, you must come to me immediately and tell me. Mm-hmm. And since I, since it was my job to do whatever he said perfectly, I had to do that. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so then we've done that, you know, for, you know, the last, you know, almost all of our relationship. We, yeah. I, anytime either one of us is upset about something, we'll put it on the table and talk it out. That's great. Um, I, yeah. re- I like the part where um, this was before the <clears throat> open race um, in Chicago. There was an ITU race that came through Chicago. I think, uh-huh. uh, I think. I can't remember. I think they did it two years in a row. Is that true? Or am I mixing that up with the yes, national yes. championships? There were, no, there were two there were there were two years of that open race, yes. Right. In Chicago. Uh and so you had mentioned several times that you were you were had some interactions with officials and things got moved and your number was wrong and you were starting to have a meltdown and you texted him and he didn't respond and you were waiting for yeah. him to get in touch with you. And when I read that part I was thinking to myself, oh, man, I wonder how many times that's happened to an athlete of mine if they've texted me <laughs> during this really, really critical moment and I wasn't available. Yeah, um, so yeah. I was really happy when he, when he called you or emailed you and said, oh, I, I, didn't, I missed your email last night. It didn't come through, but how are things going? Yeah, so he yeah. did come through for you. He, he did. <laughs> and, you know, that, that was interesting because that was at a time in my career where I was still not feeling like I was deserving. And, um, and so he, Coach Brand had athletes that were at an Ironman that day. And I just figured that since I was just a little sprint triathlete and just the beginning of my career that I wasn't important. <laughs> uh-huh. So, but little, little did I know that all of his athletes are important. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also thought it was funny about the four exclamation points. <laughs> so, and as I'm assuming you do this as a coach too, um, I think that, well, I know for Brandt, he, he watches his athletes and he treats different athletes. He gives them what they need to be their best. Mm-hmm. And so for some athletes, he, he'll like get in front of them and, you know, be very, very firm with them. And 
Um, but with me, he knows I'm such a softy <laughs> that if he were to raise his voice or to, you know <laughs> scold me, um, it would um, it would not work. I, right. would, I would just fall apart. So so I've learned yes if he if he's writing to me in Training Peaks and he says Sue with four explanation points, <laughs> whatever comes next, I better listen to. Right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. There's there there's some athletes who um, always want to do more. Um, mm -hmm. and when you combine that with their, you know, their physical ability, how well can they recover? Maybe more is okay, but a lot of times more is not okay because mm -hmm. the coach has already factored all that in. Um, yeah, the, yeah. the part well, about, and the, and the, and the coach is trying to think about what's coming next, and, right. you know, doesn't want you to be too tired to do the next day's workout. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah. When I went to one of my coaching um, certification classes, I remember, um, I believe it was Melissa Montauk speaking. She was a coach for one of the male Olympians um, in 2012, I think. And mm -hmm. she put up some screenshots of her workout and then screenshots of the, um, the athletes, not the athletes' um, training notes, but their, um, their, like their power files or something like that. And I remember looking at them and realizing that there was a big discrepancy between what she wrote and what he had done. Hmm. And so I asked her about that. I said, you know, I noticed that you only had two laps of this course and he did three and she laughed. She's like, I always give him one less than what I really want him to do <laughs> because, <laughs> because she knows him well enough. He's always going to want to do more. And so she will deliberately sort of underwrite his program um, mm -hmm. so that when he does the <laughs> little funny. extra, it's right where she wants it. Yeah. Well, you know, but in everything else in my life, in my school, in my career, doing a little extra was appreciated. Yeah. And um, I had to relearn that for, for this. And, mm -hmm. and and there were times that was my problem in the beginning, too. I would do a little bit extra. And um, there have been a couple of times, one of my favorite times with Coach Brandt was we were, I, I did an extra lap than I was supposed to do. And he was there. It was a, it was a on deck um, workout. And so he was like right in my face, um, <laughs> scolding me. And it just, anytime I would think about, I am a grandma and here's this 27 year old whippersnapper <laughs> scolding me and I couldn't help, but my, I started laughing and then I noticed that he was starting to laugh, but he turned away so I couldn't yeah. see him laugh. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my, it was funny. That's yeah. It sounds like a, you guys have really grown a lot together as a, um, as, yeah. a, as a team. We, we are. I, it's a team of two. Good. Um, one of the things that I like to do when I interview a very interesting athlete um, is interview, interview their coach as well. Would you be okay if I contacted him and did an interview oh, with sure. him? Yeah. We and I, I think he'd be a wonderful interviewee. He's, um, he's, he's, he may be young, but he's extremely wise. It's, well, it really sounds like it to be 27 years old and to be able to manage Sue Reynolds. <laughs> he's, it sounds like he was um, impl uh, implementing a lot of great coaching tools and techniques. He absolutely is. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, tell us a, a little bit more about what happens after the middle of the book, because that's, that's as far as I've gotten, so I can't sort of lead, give you leading questions anymore. But um, what are some <laughs> of the highlights uh, after that? Um, the, I believe that third year is when you went from 26th or 29th to 11th. Yeah. What so are some of the I... lessons you learned that during that time? When I when I came in 29th, um, I still wasn't like taking triathlons seriously. I would I would skip workouts if life got in the way. And but 29th was middle of the middle of the pack. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I can be middle of the pack, 
without really committing, what what would happen if I really committed? And and then I thought, well, if I could get the 25th, I would be an alternate from for Team USA. And that was all the high. I just wanted to be an alternate. Yeah. So I, I came back and talked to Coach Brandt, and I didn't tell him what my dream was to be an alternate for Team USA. I just told him, I said, you know, I know I'm just a beginner. I mean, I only had what um, I had three seasons behind me then. Mm-hmm. I said, I know I'm virtually a beginner, but why couldn't I train like an elite athlete? And and I said, you know, if I'm willing to put in that commitment, would you agree to, to coach me like I'm an elite, um, even though, you know, I'm just a beginner? Mm-hmm. And I thought he might laugh or roll his eyes, but he said, sure. You know, and to his credit and and... So he, we just both went all in and it was, you know, no excuses, whatever it takes, find a way, um, no stone unturned. Um, we just, we just worked our tails off. I mean, Mm -hmm. and, and instead of triathlon working around life, um, life began to work around triathlon that, that was the number one focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we just worked really, really hard and, um, we were hoping to be eighth, so I'd qualify at that um, nationals. I ended up 11th. But then the other thing that USAT did was they um, had a second qualifying race, which was a draft legal um, by uh, sprint because um, worlds had changed to be a draft legal race. And and um, we really, that was a big debate again because we thought, you know, nobody I, we all thought maybe draft legal bike would be dangerous. And, mm-hmm. you know, at, at my age, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if I can a bike crash, I'll break both my hips. You know, <laughs> I don't know. It was just, I was scared. Yeah. So, um, but then I figured, you know, why not go for it? This was my passion. And I thought if I get into a pack and I feel dangerous, I'll just, I'll just pull back and yeah. not ride the pack, you know? So, so we went for it and um, we did qualify for worlds. So, so I went, so really in the three year period, I went from coming in dead last of my little local triathlons mm-hmm. to qualifying for the world championship. And that's amazing. So we get, yeah. So we get the worlds and, um, you know, talk, you talked earlier about filling in over your head. Um, I'm virtually a beginner <laughs> on the world <laughs> stage and I'm looking at all these athletes in their country's uniforms and I'm just so freaked out and, um, Coach Brandt went, went with me, and so uh-huh. he um, he kept me calm. And but I loved loved Worlds. Um, there's just nothing like wearing your country's uniform and um, you know seeing the best triathletes from all the countries all over the world. Um, yeah, I, it was just it was just wonderful. And and that draft legal bike, um, I ended up I did end up in a pack. I was a small pack. I think there were six of us and. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm looking at these women and they have different countries' uniforms on and we're all working together. And, you know, it was a really good pack. And mm-hmm. um, and I just, I, I remember thinking, I remember getting teary-eyed in the middle of the, the bike and, and just thinking, man, I wish our governments could work together like we are <laughs> on the bike. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just, it was just wonderful. I absolutely loved it. So, yeah. And then long story short, after I made that world, so I, I've been qualifying for worlds um, ever since I've been the four now. And mm-hmm. my best, my best finish was in Rotterdam. Um, I was six. I'm, I tend to, my, my, my best event is the bike and um, Rotterdam had a really technical bike course and that worked to my advantage. Mm. And 
So, um, yeah, it was, it was a crazy bike course. That's an example of one of those things that you can't, you can't control the bike course or what's on it, but you can control your, how you train for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I was, I came in first in the bike, um, and and did decent the swim run is my struggle. I just hope I can get far (laughs) enough ahead of people that they don't catch me on the run. Uh So, but yeah, so that went well. And, um, and then this past season, um, I decided to try um, an, a half Ironman, a 70.3. Um, I love sprint racing. Um, you know, a lot of times I think sprint racing has three different purposes. One, it's an entry-level um, race. Two, it's a stepping stone to longer races. Mm-hmm. But then three, it's a competitive race. I mean, just like there's different distances in track and field, there's different distances in triathlon. Yeah. And to race the sprint distance, that's a whole different skill set. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, really learning to be at red line. And in a couple of races, I went over to red line too early and never <laughs> made, made it across the finish line. And uh-huh. um, yeah, so one race I ran off course and didn't realize I was off course until I ended up in a playground somewhere. <laughs> I, I just, I wasn't thinking. Going um, a little too hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too hard, too early. Yeah. So, you know, and that's, I mean, we know, I know now exactly how far from the finish line I need to post and how long I can be over, over red line before I'm in trouble. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So I just love sprint racing, but you know, I, I've always just wanted to f- try a longer race just yeah. to see what it was like. So, so how did it go? So it went well. Um, I, I, I loved it. Um, um, it, I was first out of the water. I was still first in my age group off the bike and, I ended up second. The woman who beat me passed me in the last half mile. It was, oh. it was so sad. So, but I ended up on the podium, and you know, oh, I didn't even know if I could finish. So I was, I was thrilled. So, yeah. Do you think but, you'll do um, more? I, 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 I'm going to. So we, we did something different this past season to make sure that I wasn't like burning out. So yeah, we, we, my A race is the World Championship in August. But then this year we did a postseason season just for fun. Yeah. And and the the Ironman was just just for fun race. Um, and so yeah, I think I'll do another one. Just or I've already signed up for another <laughs> one. Um, but just for fun, I, you know, it's yeah. just going to be just a just a finish. And if if I do well, fine. If I don't do well, fine. Yeah. So, so th- yeah. I think that a lot of people who are um, new newer to the sport or don't know a lot about triathlon um, think that the Ironman distance. Um, is synonymous with a triathlon. Um, mm-hmm. And so when you started, you made a, a comment in your book that you didn't even know anyone who did triathlons. How, how mm-hmm. was it that you had that little spark of adding, um, you know, the swimming and the biking and running together? Yeah. So um, I, like maybe 20 years ago, someone told me that their husband had done a triathlon oh, right. in, uh-huh. in, in Kona and, and that kind of sounded interesting to me. But when I started thinking about triathlon, I had no intention of doing one. I, it was just this fun little daydream <laughs> that I played in my head when I was jogging or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it just made me feel like a real, you know, cool to think, oh, I'm training for a triathlon. Yeah. <laughs> but but I never thought I'd do one. And then, and then it all of a sudden occurred to me, wait a minute, I can now run the distance of a triathlon. I uh-huh. can swim the distance. I might as well try one. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, I remember I had similar thoughts. I was um, in residency when I did my first triathlon 
Uh, and oh. I had been an athlete in, um, in high school and in college. So doing sports was not, um, new to me, but I'd never done any, uh, any individual races. It was always team sports. Um, uh-huh. and I remember that feeling of, uh, I did the swim and I did pretty decent in the swim because I had a swimming background. But when it came to the bike, um, my first triathlon was in the Pocono mountains. So up, Mm -hmm. down, up, down, up, down. (laughs) And I was on uh, a mountain bike that was, um, 15 to 20 years old and, uh, it was brand new when I bought it, but (laughs) it hadn't had much of a tune up. The wheels would spin about three revolutions before the hubs would grind to a stop. And (laughs) I started getting passed by, um, passed by people on the bike fairly early. And at first I was, uh, it annoyed me, you know, I, some fast, guy would fly by me on this fancy bike and this fancy uh-huh. helmet and I would get this surge of competitive adrenaline and start pedaling harder and then I just wasn't going anywhere because I was on this this crappy old bike and I hadn't been training uh you know I really just trained to complete the distance uh-huh. um uh-huh. but then when um the people passing me started getting older I realized that it was the <laughs> second wave passing me oh. I was in, because of my uh age when I did that first when I was in the first swim wave and then it then it hit me. I, I flipped see. the script around. Like, well, that's somebody that I, uh, I beat him on the swim, you know, or this guy, oh. this guy's past me, but I'm, oh, hang on a second. <laughs> I'll edit this out. Okay. <laughs> I need to unhide my tracks. There we go. Sorry about that. Okay, no problem. You still there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Can you hear me, Sue? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Hello, hello. I can hear you. Wait, now can you hear me? Yes, can okay. you hear me? Yeah, I couldn't hear you. I muted the wrong track. Oh, <laughs> okay, I'm going to delete that. Yeah, sorry, I use a, a template and the I have these placeholders and I thought I had all my other tracks muted. So we should be good now. Um, okay. Yeah, I'll just edit that out. Anyway, <clears throat> anyway, I, I finished that bike and I got to um, to the run transition. When I started the run, I took my first step on the run course, and I remember thinking, "I'm going to finish this triathlon." Because at that point, mm-hmm. it didn't matter if I ran or walked. I knew that I would finish that three miles, three point one miles, and cross the finish line, and I would be a triathlete. And oh, isn't that a wonderful feeling? Fantastic feeling. And then yeah. everyone after that, it's just, um, you know, kind of more of the same. You, you, uh, at least I start thinking of myself as more of, um, I've always been athletic, but now I'm a triathlete, you know, now I'm a mm-hmm. sprint triathlete. Now I've done an Olympic <laughs> triathlon. Um, yeah. Yeah. What a great sport. Yeah. It, it is um, my my first, and I I like to tell people that you know it, it's it's not like Ironman. There is a sprint distance, and you can dog paddle the swim. You can, you know, stroll the walk if you want to. It's mm-hmm. just about keeping going. And my my first transition, I and I really did. I I had no clue what I was doing, and. My my first transition, I, I sat down, I ate a sandwich, and I brushed my <laughs> hair. <laughs> That's great. I think I spent 20 minutes in transition before uh-huh. I went on. <laughs> That's great. That's re- it's really cute. Um, and, and I just, I love the tone of the book. It's such a fun, 
story to read. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, about the book itself. So congratulations okay. on on completing the book. That's a, a a real accomplishment. Maybe even harder than doing a triathlon. It was it was a journey. <laughs> is, is this the first book that you've written? It, it, it's the first book. Um, I so many people told me that I should write a book, and um, I, you know, I thought, who's going to want to read about me? <laughs> that's that's ridiculous. And um, but then I was at nationals a few years back, and a local TV station did a little segment about my my weight loss. That, and that got picked up into, and someone made it into a video that they put on YouTube, and it ended up having three hundred thousand views. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it just went viral. Yeah. And um, and then I realized that I had an opportunity here. That if there were, you know, things that maybe could help others, um, I had a real opportunity for sharing them. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, looked for. And an agent, and the, the first one I talked to, I, I I just wanted to know if she thought it'd be worth my time to write the book. And yeah. I, she said, I, th- I think it would be worth your time, yes. And she said, I'd like you to offer you a contract right now. Wow. So, <laughs> yes. so I had no book, but I had an agent. And <laughs> so, how did you find the agent? Um, well, I, again, I had no clue what I was doing. Yeah. Um, I went to a writer's conference where I knew that the um, participants were going each going to have um, five minutes to talk to an agent, mm-hmm. and so I signed just signed up for my time slot mm-hmm. <laughs> and asked her the question and came out with an agent. <laughs> Did you go to the conference with the intention of writing this book? I, I had the intention of knowing, trying to find out if it would be worth my time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, and yeah, it was what, worth my time. <laughs> what a wonderful story. Um, you know, without books like yours, without people like you telling your story, uh, you know, we don't know how other people um, get from point A to point B. And there's so much inspiration in other people's stories, even if it's not the same path that that I've followed mm-hmm. or someone else followed. So I just want to thank you for being so persistent, not only in your weight loss and your triathlon, but also in sitting down and just getting this book out there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I I had no clue. I Just like triathlon, I had no clue I'd be able to write a book, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> hopefully it's out there. And I'm, I appreciate your kind words because, you know, when you're writing, you're hoping, oh, I hope people like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so thank you. You're welcome. So um, people can find you on, um, on the internet, um, mm-hmm. suereynolds.net. It's S-U-E-R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S.net, right? That that's correct, and there's if they go there, then there's links to um, to um, to to where you can purchase the book, and then the other thing is I I wanted to use the book not only to share messages, but all of the proceeds from the book are being donated to USA Triathlon Foundation. Um, so when people purchase the book, they're helping to support other others um, uh, pursuits of triathlon as well. That's fantastic, um, and you do um, speaking. Motivational speaking or educational yeah, I speaking? I, I do know it's it's motivational speaking, mm-hmm. and um, that was another thing that I just kind of fell on my lap. Um, <laughs> a um, an agent called and asked if he could represent me. Thought I had a good story, and so I've been going across the country and doing motivational talks. They're for general audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, although I've talked to triathletes and cyclists and stuff too, but. You know, and it's just about the message that we we can transform our life at any age. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also one of the messages in the book is about the power of kindness, and so you know we talk about kindness and 
um, just what it takes to change. You know, we talk about vision and knowledge of the first few steps and belief mm-hmm. of self and being able to overcome resistance. And that's wonderful. Yeah. So. Yeah, and so that's been that's been fun, and I've had some standing ovations, which has been really <laughs> kind of fun. So yeah, it's been cool. Yeah, what a what a great story. Um, I, I think what the the biggest impact for me is that your your book and your story is not just about weight loss. That's that's sort of the the hook that gets people in. Like you you lost how many pounds? Mm-hmm. But there are so many additional messages um, in your book and the subtitle um, "Transforming Power of Hope, Tenacity, and Faith." That's really what your story is about. It's not mm-hmm. just about weight loss. That, that's correct. And, you know, weight loss was just, just a step. And it's really, you know, it's really about what was going on in the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the relationship with my coach and um, how that, you know, how that enabled me to move forward. Yeah. Great. So what's next for you? Um, well, the book comes out the 28th. I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. And then um, I'm preparing for races this summer, um, hopefully with the um, the COVID-19 situation, you know, we're hoping they don't get canceled. But yeah. one, one of the things I've learned, because I think it's really hard to get motivated um, for races when you're not sure that they're going to happen. Yeah. Um, but I've learned that discipline is a whole lot more important than motivation. So I just keep showing up for training every day. And mm-hmm. um, hopefully there will be races. But if not, you know, I nothing lost. I'll just be on my step to, to next season. So, um, right now I'm, I'm scheduled to go to, um, my A races are nationals again, and then worlds is in Edmonton. Um, Mm -hmm. both of those are in August and then I'll do another 70.3 and then the aqua bike, um, national championship in November. Oh, great. That sounds like a really nice, um, um, journey for this year. You've Mm -hmm. got the, the faster, shorter, uh, more intense races and then sort of your, not your off season, but a, a transition into a different type of training and right. racing. My really smart. season. There you go. Um, <laughs> last question. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. just curious. What are some of your current mantras that you're using? You mentioned several mantras in your book, um, both during your boot camp and then at other points. What are some mantras you use right now? Well, really, none that are different. My favorite one is um, "No excuses. Whatever it takes, find a way." And um, you know, that applies to training. Um, it applies to nutrition now um, that I'm at ideal race weight. I've got to maintain that. So nutrition is really important. Um, this year, I'm really, really working on recovery. And so no excuses, whatever it takes, find a way. Um, <laughs> that is about getting in bed at nine o'clock at night now. Oh, <laughs> so, great. That's hard to yeah. do. Yes, it is. So yeah, just, just no excuses and not, you know, leaving... Uh, overturning every stone. Yeah. So. Great. Well, yeah. thank you very much. It was wonderful getting to know you a little bit better. And uh, yeah. I hope to get you back on for a follow-up interview soon, as well as getting your coach on. That sounds great. So thank you so much. And um, as you know, I've been a follower of your podcast. I, I listen to your podcast when I when I run. And um, I, I just get lots of um, good things from what I hear you do. And I'm especially interested in your try over 50 series. I think that's going to be really exciting. Thank you. I'm, um, I, I just started that and I don't know why I didn't think of it before, but I turned 50 last year and it was mm-hmm. not nearly as traumatic as I thought. Um, <laughs> it was, it was actually kind of a relief to get that over with. And, um, being 50 felt a little bit better for me than being 49 because I had, um, sort of falsely filled my head with all kinds of thoughts that turning 50 would be awful, but, um, but it's not, um, 
and I'm, I'm sure that life continues to become more and more, um, you know, enlightening as we continue to get older and have more experiences and figure out how to incorporate all of our obstacles and struggles into continuing to move forward. So I, I won't say I'm looking forward to 60, but it'll get here and, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I hope it'll be better than 50. The, the trick is, and I can say this as a 66-year-old, the trick is that in your heart, you never get older than 29. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't feel uh, like I thought 50 would feel. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, great. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate it, and um, hopefully we'll catch up with you soon. Um, everybody okay. go check out Sue's book and get your own copy. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Isn't that an incredible story? I just am so motivated by people like Sue who persevere, they don't give up, nothing stops them, nothing stands in their way. And it doesn't mean that it's an easy path to take, but they are so driven to accomplish their goals that they don't let anything stop them. Sue's mantra is never miss a workout, and I find that incredible as well. It's so easy to find reasons to skip a workout because you're tired, because your workday was long, because someone else needs you to do something, and she is dedicated to her training plan, and that's one of the reasons that she's been so successful, I think. Uh, likewise, so successful in writing a book. It's remarkable accomplishment to tell a story like she's told and get it published. Um, all of the proceeds from her book go to the USA Triathlon Foundation, so order a copy for yourself and for all of your friends. Coming up on future episodes of Try to Listen, I'll be interviewing Joella Baker. She is a race director from Zelianople, Pennsylvania, and we'll get some input from her about how the coronavirus situation is impacting uh, races all around the world. We talk about Joella's contribution to the Southwestern PA triathlon and swimming community above and beyond the races that she does and how her relationship with the Park Service has allowed triathletes from all around the region to have weekly, reliable, and safe open water swim sessions. As usual, I try to bring all of the interview portion to you guys uncut and ad-free so that you can enjoy it from start to finish. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash try, that's T-R-I, the number two, listen. Even a donation of a dollar per month will help cover the production, hosting, and editing costs, and the Patreons can get a sneak preview of my upcoming interviews and get a chance to post some specific questions before the interview, and I'll incorporate those as I'm able to. That's it for now. Thanks for joining me on trytolisten.com. I will see you next week. Mm-hmm.